Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Happy at Work podcast. We are very excited to have with us today J.P. Sniffins and Charlie Porson from Corn Ferry International. Welcome, J.P. and Charlie. Thank you. Glad to have you with us. And uh, yes, glad to have you with us. So, uh, J.P., we're going to start with you. And then, Charlie, would love for you to answer the same question. Can you share with us a little bit? about your experience at Corn Ferry, what you do, as well as today's episode is more focused on veterans and the kind of unique capabilities veterans bring to the workplace. So would love to have you share a little bit about your own military experience, as I know both you and Charlie have both also been in the military. So go ahead and share your experience. Sure, would love to. So I was, I'm actually a third generation Marine. So my father and my grandfather were both Marines. So I was a Marine Corps infantry officer spent uh, five years in the Marine Corps and then transitioned out and uh, did a little stint in corporate America before I got into recruiting and have been in this field now for over 20 years uh, doing uh, doing this on a daily basis. Excellent. And Charlie? Yeah. So thanks again for having us. And my background was all Air Force. So I have 32 years. I just recently retired from uh, off of active duty in the Air Force. And my background was all in operations, aviation, flying as a pilot, coming up through the command track, most recently in the world of IT, and now have been brought on board at Corn Ferry to help stand up the senior officer sector working with JP. Nice. Wow. Pretty impressive. So JP, let me start with this question with you. Um, Really like to understand from your perspective and how much the workplace has changed, how complex the workplace really is. What are your thoughts on how veterans might be really uniquely capable to deal with these really complex and changing times that we're in? Sure. Great, great question. I get asked that a lot uh, by companies we work with. So one of the big things about the modern military is that it teaches our service members how to think. So the idea behind what we do is this overriding concept that no plan survives contact with the enemy. The idea is you can plan, you can do whatever you want. And then once you get out into the real world, or in this case, you know, contact with the enemy, think anything can happen. Things can change. And so wow, have we seen that in corporate America the last couple of years, right? So who could have predicted COVID? Who could have predicted uh, literally one day in the office, the next day the whole workforce goes remote? So all of these things that have now become part of our daily lives in the civilian work environment, military people are very attuned to that. We're very used to rolling with it, figuring out how do I move forward? How do I think through this opportunity? How do I take care of my people? How do I check in with them? and make sure we're all in the same state of music going in the same direction. So in a lot of ways, we're very well trained for what has happened. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's actually been fascinating to see how military folks have really survived and thrived in this chaotic world that we now live in. JP, I, I love that. Expect the unexpected. 
That's <laughs> beautiful. Uh, my question is going to be for Charlie. Uh, Charlie, I'd love to ask you, why, why do you feel that veterans are so well equipped to work in diverse teams? And what might make them more inclusive employees than we might see in the general civilian population? Yeah, great, great question, Michael. So one of the things that we truly see in the military is that the environment that we work in on a day-to-day -day basis, and I, you can hear that I've just recently transitioned, right? I'm still saying the, the we, but in, in my role in the military, the environment is so diverse. Everybody you know, in the military works on diverse teams every day. So there is nothing unusual at all about that. Not just diversity of gender, of race, but diversity of thought, of experience, of background. So all of those, those various things that, that make each of us such unique individuals comes into play in getting towards that solution, whatever that mission may be for the day, for the minute, right? To JP's point about the changing and complex environment that we work in. So everybody is so used to working in that diverse field anyway, that it's just part of your everyday operations. There is nothing different about it. And so I would say absolutely that translates perfectly over into civilian industry um, with, you know, the especially today's drivers towards ensuring we have diversity of, of thought, of background, of everything. Charlie, actually, I will ask one more um, kind of follow up to that, which is around um, the kind of global perspective. So when we think okay. about diversity, we often think about race and ethnicity and gender as you in, in diversity of thought. But when we think about culture and having a global perspective and, and given right. the fact that, you know, the Internet has democratized business and access to information. And so is what's the unique uh, kind of perspective that folks who were in the military might bring to global businesses who are dealing with different issues geopolitically or wanting to expand in new, you know, territories, cultures, and so forth. Oh, absolutely. So one of the, the beautiful things about being in the military is you get to travel quite a bit. And so you get to experience different cultures and just firsthand living in other countries, immersing yourself in languages and everyday aspects of, of that, that culture and that environment. So of course that can translate so well into civilian industry because we need that global understanding and the ability to translate across cultures and, and across different industries even. And so um, military folks with that background are absolutely primed and ready to go for those types of positions. Fantastic, thank you. And JP, as, as we think about the title of this podcast, which is called Happy at Work, and we really focus on different types of interventions we can do around positive psychology and other areas to really make the workplace more purposeful, more meaningful, and so forth. We also talk about well-being a lot on this podcast and different things that we can do around well-being. And how can how can employers really think about supporting the well-being of um, not just their veteran uh, employees, but also of those other employees kind of in general, like the, the type of support that veterans might need, how might that benefit the overall organization? And what are some things you've seen in research or things you've seen in practice that, that really do support all employees within the workplace? 
Sure. Yeah. And that's a, a really great point because as we're seeing, call whatever you want, the great resignation or, or whatever, it, there's more and more focus on leadership and how you're treating your, your most valuable commodity, which I would argue is your talent, right? That, that's the most valuable thing you have. And so uh, in many ways, you hit the nail on the head. Veterans in some aspects are different, but in a lot of ways, they're not. And I would say fundamentally in the following ways. One, people like transparency, veterans especially. Not everybody's going to agree with everyone, but if you're open and honest and you come out and say, this is what it is, this is why it needs to be done this way, and then you have a conversation around it and not just, hey, you know, there's a misconception that veterans are used to, I told you to do this, go do it, right? That doesn't work very well, right? And what you find is you have to have a conversation. Now, at the end of the day, you might say, you might not necessarily agree with the decision that's being made, but at least you understand when it went into making the decision. That's extremely important, understanding why the decision is being made. And then also giving anyone a forum to be listened to. Uh, most people, they just want to know, or they want to be able to, to, to air their concern, have a conversation, and really believe that you're listening to them. You're actively listening. And one of the things that we really preach in the military is that active listening skill. Not that you're multitasking in this world of my cell phone, instant messaging, and everything else. Are you actually engaged in listening to the person and asking follow-up questions and making sure you fully understand their viewpoint and then being able to lead from there with answers as to this is why the organization is doing it or this is the decision and situation we're taking. I also am a big believer in the toolbox mentality, sharing with someone, what are all the resources you have when you talk about mental health? Now, unfortunately, the military has struggled with that over the years, right, in terms of that, that culture of just suck it up, right? Just push through it and do it. But we have really started to address that. And I'm very excited to see that. And I think it starts with what are all the tools? What are the things that you have access to? Who can you speak to? If it's not me as your leader, is there someone else? Are there peer groups? Are there other resources that we as an organization are putting out there so that you know, is it an internal, internal employee resource group? Is it something that we get through one of our benefits? All of that, I think, leads into it. And then the last thing I would say is making sure that you're tying whatever the top line objectives are down to the floor level. Uh, happiness means being part of a team. We're social creatures by design. And so therefore, if I can't feel like what I'm doing is tied into what the boardroom wants, I'm going to feel left behind. I'm going to feel like I'm not part of this organization and really doesn't matter if I stay or go. So a little bit of a long-winded answer. I apologize, but I think that's, that's what I've seen. That's really great, JP. And I love that connection, right? The connection between what I do every day and what matters to this place. The more you can see that and feel that, the better, right? That's really, really helpful. So next question is for you, Charlie. So really thinking about your own experiences, your own perspective, um, being a woman in the military, and then now being a woman who works in more of a, a corporate setting, a corporate environment, um, what are your observations with regard to things like discrimination, assumptions that people make about you know, what women can and cannot do, really how you have seen that and what's similar, maybe different. And how can companies really better support women, um, would you say, in the workplace? Oh, great. Yeah. And thanks for the opportunity to, to talk about this. So I think the huge change that I have seen throughout my, that I saw throughout my career in the military, um, it, it certainly was different. I think I was 
very fortunate to have a band of brothers, if you will, come alongside me as usually maybe the only woman in my pilot training class or in my squadron, um, you know, at first. And then gradually over the years, seeing more and more women come into the same organizations. The military has done a phenomenal job. And in fact, JP, you can back me up on the statistics, but I know the female demographic is one of the fastest growing demographics in the military right now. And um, and so the military itself is doing a, a wonderful job of ensuring that opportunities are open to women. As far as a transition into um, you know, the civilian world, I would again say that I am extremely fortunate in that, you know, especially with Corn Ferry, finding an organization that again is so supportive of all of its employees. And I think the biggest thing there goes back really to what JP was just talking about. As long as the organization, the leadership, whether it's the military or any civilian organization, is truly listening to their employees, what's important to them, what they need. I don't, it doesn't matter what the demographic is, you know, fill in the blank for the demographic, gender, whatever. It is truly a, an active listening component to see what it is that they need and how to help with any issues if they may arise. Charlie, if I could ask a quick follow-up to that. Um, sure. If you, I mean, get, I just think it's fascinating. You were a pilot in the military. You spent, I think you said 32 years in the military and then came over to uh, to the corporate side of things. And if you could give advice to young women who are gra graduating from undergrad or um, and kind of considering next steps, going into the military, going into kind of corporate life, um, what are the skills, the mindsets, what advice would you give to young women, say, in their 20s, who are kind of thinking about their careers and, and how to position themselves? And um, and what advice would you give them? Oh, absolutely. And I love this question. I have a teenage daughter who has just gone off to college. And so, and I'm also very fortunate to work with um a group of young professionals, uh, women in aviation, and we get the opportunity to work with young aviators all the time. I also want to highlight that I have a teenage son, and I would give the exact same advice to him, and that is to have an open mindset. As we are moving out into this world, truly, the world is your oyster as far as, you know, th the sky's the limit, and even then, you can go beyond that as we're seeing now. So, so whatever it is that, that you truly want to get after, you absolutely can. You just need to put that networking and that all those hard skills in place as you move forward. So I don't want to, them to be unrealistic and just say, oh, all this stuff's going to come easy. No, 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 you got to work for it. But then your success will be merit-based and it doesn't matter anything else. If you've put in the work, if you've you know, built your own structure and you've done the hard stuff to, to make sure that your skills are where they need to be and then combine that with excellent networking and moving forward, man, you, you can go anywhere. Charlie, I love that. In fact, I'm, I'm going to have my, my undergrad students listen to uh, this podcast, especially my women from uh, Asian cultures and Middle Eastern countries. Uh, they need this. A lot of them just have no idea where to start. So, so I appreciate you for that response. Uh, JP, I've got a question for you. Can you share with us any information about organizations who are doing good work and helping veterans transition 
from the military life to the civilian life. Are there any people out there that are that are doing it right? Yeah, I'm assuming you mean from like a, a corporate America or from a hiring perspective standpoint. Yes. Sure. Yeah. So so I would say that jokingly on the inside here we have a little uh inside joke about flag wavers by people that are actually doing something, right? And so you have those companies that are flag wavers where they're all oh, we'll hire veterans and then you say, Really? When was the last time you hired one? And they're like, Yeah, I don't know. Let me check. I'm not I'm not really sure when we hired one, but but we would, we would, right? So First of all, you have to have, like I would argue with most things, you have to have a process. So the companies that have an actual process that they've defined around hiring veterans is a good place to start. And so typically it's something like, do you have a goal? Is there a certain number of people that per new hires are looking to bring in from a veteran perspective? In addition to that, the ones that don't hide it, that are very open about, we are looking for, for veterans. We're looking to hire this demographic inside of our organization. Um, along with that, then creating skills translators. That's something that we actually help a lot of companies with is sometimes it's very daunting. Like Carly was a pilot. You're not flying anything right now, right? So, so people say, well, what else could you do? There's a ton. He was an IT project manager. He did all these different things in the military, right? So it's us helping people understand that military folks oftentimes are like icebergs. There's so much hidden below the surface that they did and do on a daily basis. And so evaluating them that way as a holistic person, which I would argue they should be doing with every person they hire, but with veterans, sometimes it's harder because of the niches that we're in. So companies that do all of that really put together a great program and then welcoming them when they come in the door. If you have an employee resource group that is around veterans or at least advising senior management about, you know, different unique things. We talked earlier about mental health. So understanding that someone that might pop at a different time. If someone might have post-traumatic stress that pops in in a work environment or whatever the case may be. So integrating all of that in their journey is what I've really seen uh, the best companies at doing this do and do well. I have, I have one additional question for you both. Um, we have a lot of leaders and HR people who listen to our podcasts, and I really wanted to click into this hiring part of hiring veterans. What are, what are some of the you know perceived challenges of hiring veterans? I think there are a couple that I've heard of before, and I just wondered your thoughts on that um, and other you know other things that are are challenges or barriers that maybe are just misconceptions, right? That aren't aren't true. So one of them um, is just you know finding veterans, and I think that there are a lot of ways we can do that now that are easier than there used to be. But another one I think, and I think you sort of touched on this, is the really seeing the connection between the experiences you've gotten in the military and the requirements with, between with the job, right? And so sometimes to me that we're using different language to describe the experiences that were, you know, in one of in as a veteran, but they're really similar to what a job might require. And I've seen some companies who actually help bridge that gap or translate, you know, those two things. But I wonder just your thoughts on that. What are some of those real barriers to to finding veterans in kind of corporate jobs? And it could be from the perspective of the company or also the perspective of the veteran. Just curious. Um, I like to keep things a little simple, right? Just my father always taught me that, like, keep it simple and people can. So I would say for HR people, the number one thing is even if you don't do anything else and you change job descriptions that say, or equivalent military experience, 
right? That's going to go a long way to having people um, at least apply as opposed to self-selecting out. Like, like, well, I don't have four years of ERP experience and I don't have this and I don't have that, but you know, I did manage a budget this big and I did that and this other thing. So, so that would be something for sure is just adding that in there. Um, mm-hmm. I would also say, um, you know, another thing from an employer standpoint is to understand really how big this marketplace is. So every year, over 200,000 service members transition off active duty. So every year, it's the second largest renewable pool behind college graduates. And so to understand, it's worth the time and effort to put this into place because it's not, oh, I might be able to do it once. This is a, a pool of talent that you can tap into once you learn how to do these things the right way that, that is refillable every year and different skill sets. So that's a big encouragement of why uh, not only because it's the right thing to do, but in addition to that, it makes sense from a return on investment because of the numbers of folks we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I would only add to that that I think there's such a, a large disparity between what people think of military folks from the Hollywoodized version. Um, so you're not necessarily hiring Jack Nicholson's character from you know from movie. You're you're definitely getting that person who has this complex, diverse set of experience that they can usually bring to any given situation and then plug in. And so, you know, it's it's such a, a difference between what people think of um, the military member and and the reality. That's fantastic. So as we wrap up, and I can't believe a half hour has gone by <laughs> talking all about um, this topic around hiring veterans and and the capabilities veterans can bring. Uh, One thing that you just said, I think that's really important, both JP and Charlie, is around the the renewable resource of being able to, I mean, you said upwards of 200,000 veterans come into the, the labor force, the civilian labor force every single year. So we hear about labor shortages, yet there's this amazing renewable resource of labor that I think a lot of companies just don't know, to Laura's point, how to tap into that. Another kind of interesting piece is around skilling. And what we're seeing is this transition from roles to skill clusters, from having to show your credentials or job descriptions with credentials to you know, requiring skill sets versus you know, having that four-year degree and so forth. So Kind of as as a as a last thought, any advice you would give to again veterans or employers as to how they can position the skill sets that are required for the job uh, versus perhaps those very traditional credentials that JP, as you said, might self-select um, so, you know some veterans out who would actually be great candidates for these these roles. So we'll start with Charlie, and then we'll go to JP on that question. Yeah, great. So, you know, the statistics that we've seen show that less than 1% of the population has served in the military. So that's an uphill battle, educating our prospective employers, you know, company clients on exactly what a veteran can bring to the boardroom or the laboratory or the shop floor. And so, but thinking through that entire process, whether it's from the shop floor up through the CEO suite, there are veterans out there who are able to plug in on day one into a particular company at you know across a, a range of, of skill sets. So the the biggest piece that I would want employers to consider is the fact that the veteran status in and of itself is a DEI component. And so that is something that can actually help them in their diversity and inclusion efforts 
in addition to all the other efforts that, that companies are going through right now. So I would highly encourage folks to consider um, hiring a veteran, not only for their skills and the tremendous experience that they bring, but also because it will help in their own DEI efforts. Fantastic. And JP? Yeah, great points, Charlie. Um, I would say one thing for each side, for the, for the client, for the corporation side, uh, the next time you interviewed a veteran, just ask them, when was the last time you got thrown into a role that you didn't get pre-trained for? And just watch the answer. Because the number of times that someone just throws a book at one of us and goes, hey, guess what? The, there's no lawyer around. You read this. You're the, you're the JAG officer for the week, and you got to do this. Or, you know what? We've never done this before. You need to research it and figure out how we can go do this. So you just stand back and listen to the amazing stories that the men and women will have around the times they've been thrown into a task that they weren't, got, they weren't trained on. So to your point about upskilling and retraining, it's a constant thing for, for military folks. And then I'd say on the veteran side, I always say this whenever someone asks me to look at a resume, numbers are the universal language. So I always tell my veterans, as much as you can quantify and qualify, even if someone doesn't understand maybe the nuance or the vernacular of what you were doing, people understand, well, I had 200 people I was responsible for, I had this size budget, or I had this much time frame to do it in. And so that really helps when you're talking about looking for talent that gets things done as opposed to specific words of, well, did you have experience with this type of supply chain management, so on and so forth. Well, thank you so much. I think this conversation, you know, when you juxtapose it to all the conversations we have with organizations and companies around what can they do better to know that we have access to this talent pool of veterans that are learning agile, inclusive, um, you know, mission oriented and uh, very skills based in the way they approach the work, very tactical oriented. Um, what an amazing resource for, for companies to consider. So I want to thank you both. Uh, and first, thank you for your military service, um, as well as thank you both for being on the podcast. We, we really enjoyed this conversation. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.